Hello and welcome to the latest episode of What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. My name is Paul Hindle, editor at Fintech Futures, and our guest for this episode is Claire Gates, Chief Commercial Officer at P-Pro. Claire, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be invited. It's great to have you here. And I, I hear you've just come back from Singapore as well. How was, how was that? Yeah, it was great to be out traveling again, having um, face-to-face time with both the team and with um, clients. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it shortly, but um, going out to Singapore and being in the APAC region, it's always insightful about how consumers are using the wallet so that how prevalent they are out in that area of the world. Excellent. Yeah, sounds good. And it's definitely something we can look into in the the main topic of discussion, which will be around, um, as you mentioned, global payment trends and innovations within the space. So we'll be diving into that a little later in the show. But first, as always, is our news in number segment. This is where our guest has gone out and found a news story featuring an interesting number to discuss and get us started. So Claire, what have you brought along for us today? Yes, I would like to um, share with you the the, um, prevalency of um, people paying with local payment methods. 70% of goods and services that are purchased online through e-commerce are done so using what we term is local payment methods. So it's not your typical credit or debit card, but more local payment methods that are um, the key things that consumers are wanting to use, whether it be a, a digital wallet or whether it will be like an ideal sofa or pixel Boletto in Latin America. Okay, that sounds good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of that, then in terms of Latin America, I mean, I guess what trends are you seeing then in terms of the, the most prevalent payment methods being used out there? Yeah, I think it's all about companies allowing consumers to purchase goods with all different alternatives, be inclusive, being able to offer them lots of different um, payment options. And so you, you see the rise of Plix and Boleto being an attractive alternative because there are a significant proportion of people in Latin America who don't have a um, cross-border debit card and want to be able to purchase experiences, goods, services from merchants that are located outside of their region. And so many times it's the only way for them to be able to purchase goods. So if we think about in Mexico, just one of those markets within the region, 43%, the top cross-border shopping origins are the US, which one would expect, 43%. Then it's China, and then it is um, Japan. And um, whilst you've got MasterCard and Visa out there, there's a lot of local schemes and that that actually represents 67% local schemes. So as we talked about it, the OXO, OXOPay, et cetera, these are the ones that are gaining more and more traction, especially when people are buying high-end top e-commerce segments like airline tickets, health and beauty. Um, It could be also electronic goods or home and furniture wear. Okay, that's um, that's great. And, and how about in terms of a digital currency uptake and stuff over in, in Latin America? Have you got any views on that? Um, it started to, we are starting to see the uptake of, you know, cryptocurrency. It is a popular location, region where crypto is starting to gain momentum. And we offer it as a, um, a number of uh, solutions that we have ourselves offered for pick customers wanting to to use that. And I think with the current situation going on at the moment across the world, especially in Ukraine and also some of the challenges that we're seeing in, in terms of shipment delays and goods coming out of China, 
although there's not the volatility that we saw last year with the, in the crypto market, there certainly is a demand um, for more and more crypto in the mainstream financial services companies as well, wanting to offer it to their customer and their client base. Here we are in part two of the podcast. This is our more interview style section where we focus the discussion into a specific industry topic or sector. We're going to dive into the main topics in just a moment. But first to start with, Claire, maybe you can give us an introduction and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, pleasure to. Um, so I've been in payments now for over 25 years. I just joined it by chance when I left uh, management consultancy and joined American Express. And that was the first start of me getting involved in, at that time, obviously, it was cards, credit cards, American Express, and then moved into traveler's checks. Then I've had the experience of seeing many trends globally, as well as regionally, evolve from payments being a, um, a relatively late starter in terms of innovation to what now is a sector that is just thriving on the innovation that they get from technology on processes etc it's a very exciting time to be in the payments space uh, and it has been for the last 10 years looking then at um obviously payments we've covered a little bit about latin america uh, in the initial section of the show but if we expand that out globally then what current trends are you seeing then in the payment space at the moment um, definitely the uptake and the growth of our of uh, wallets, especially in the APAC region, as I, as I spoke about when I first introduced myself at the beginning. The digital wallets are 60% in of payment type breakdown. If you do 60% come from wallets and that in, in APAC versus a card-based payment, which is around 25 to 29%. And then you've got that changes if you go to it from a global perspective. Globally, you've got still wallets representing the 44% of global spend, but then you've got cards still at this moment in time at 39%. Now, it changes as you start to move across different regions um, as to the more the how they've evolved with local payment methods alternative payment methods. So very big in the APAC is the wallets because we all know about the the super apps, et cetera, that are being incorporated to individuals' everyday lifestyles. And we're going to see more of that. Then you'll have the local payment methods across EMEA where certain markets enjoy and consumers like to use local types of payments. You start. You think about somewhere like in Germany, and I, I mentioned Germany. Um, in Germany, you're talking about very few people have a credit card or, or don't tend to use a credit card for payments of e-commerce. And so they'd be using their alternatives like SoFort, for example, or Buy Now, Pay Later, where they actually leverage the invoice type solution of the Buy Now, Pay Later, as opposed to the Pay In 3, Pay In 4, or Pay In you know, various installment levels. So popular LPMs are... Of course, the gyro pay, Klarna. Then we've also started to see the the latest is like Trustly, one of the other LPMs that have um, started to come into the market. Um, then you could move over to somewhere like a certain other European markets where they like consumers tend to like to enjoy using uh, SEPA direct debit purchase payment method. I do see, though, hope the move for consumers across EMEA to start using more wallets as they become more popular, especially with a certain demographic. 
Um, then actually one of the things that um, I was reading about most recently was digital currencies coming more prevalent in the markets such as in Africa or emerging markets like Africa and the Middle East. In Latin America, you're, you're going to start to see, I'm sure, the adoption of wallets, but you, we've also seen, as we spoke about earlier, the cash-based payment methods that allow a consumer to be able to purchase the goods and services online. And then in North America, we've started to see the uptake and has been happening over the last number of years with um, buy now, pay later or your pay in two, pay in three type solution. So some of the buy now, pay later are longer installment terms up to can be six, 12, 24 months. But there are also the smaller, shorter term installments that you see from the likes of Affirm, Klarna, Zip and Afterpay. So... Looking then at maybe some specific use cases, I mean, you've mentioned um, a fair few things there in terms of like digital wallets and, and various other kind of payment methods, but are there any kind of like practical applications that you've noticed recently that have really caught your attention? The definitely is the utility for a consumer to be able to purchase a, you know, if you use something like a, um, a Zip product, It gives you a credit line to be able to then go out and purchase in multiple different. So it's like a virtual account, which gives the consumer the chance to use that flexible solution to either pay in longer term installments or shorter term installments. And I think that's becoming very popular with a younger demographic who want to be able to go out and budget and be able to purchase things across all different sectors. So it could be anything as broad as buying a dinner on their um, zip um, open account all the way to buying goods maybe that they're going to put in the house etc in their uh, maybe it's some furniture or maybe it's even a um, a television but it's that utility that flexibility of that open credit line that gives them everything that you would expect to want from a utility perspective from a credit card or from an account but it's all done in a digital streamlined wallet type experience that sounds good. And so looking then at uh, payment methods, I guess, in terms of the, the trends that we're seeing there. So which digital payment methods or just general payment methods are seeing the most usage, do you think? And, and have different methods been more popular in certain regions around the world than in others? Yeah, there is definitely still still that. I mean, having discussed it earlier and shared with you about the prevalency of digital wallets in the APAC they will remain um, so. And I can see why when I was out there in Singapore last week, the infrastructure is really geared up for everyone to be using a wallet-based payment method when you purchase anything as small as a ticket level of a, a bus ticket, for example, or even a taxi ride all the way through to a high-end large amount of spend like a hotel bill or an airline ticket. And that's because you've got, I suppose, many more features and benefits that in that wallet not just the payment, the payment method is just one thing of it, but there's loyalty points um, assigned to it. There could also be offers, a lifestyle choice with that particular wallet as well. So that I just can see and continue to see its strengthen in terms of the people's usage and the spend. I think there is this um, need, especially in some of the emerging regions that we're talking about, is to continue to offer solutions that allow consumers who have got predominantly cash base and they could still purchase on for online's good by doing 
workarounds with this cash base, whether it's like a buy now, pay later, where they get a account set up prior, or most importantly, it could be where you've got the um, cash consumer would go into a, a store, be able to pay for goods in a store, get a ticket, but a, a QR code that they can then use to be able to purchase something online. And I foresee these being extremely useful in those emerging markets where the infrastructure there isn't in place to just push out the card side of things. So that will be an alternative. And then in some of the more mature regions like the North American and EMEA, um, I think it will be a lot towards going um, pay by bank app, open banking. These are really secure, efficient ways for people to be able to pay for goods in a um, really easy, streamlined, strong UX experience. Excellent. And you mentioned there about um, the infrastructure as well, I guess, in, in terms of like building that infrastructure. And how long do you think do you, that, that it might take for kind of these emerging economies to, to build that infrastructure in? Or do you think cash will still be prevalent for a decent amount of times in the future? It all depends which markets there and what um, support they're going to get or the governments are going to push in place and want to evolve and establish them as the fintech solutions from a financial money perspective. It's hard for me to say. I think it won't change overnight. Absolutely not. But I think that's what's great about the fintech space and innovation. Where there's a need and a demand, then companies will set themselves up and be able to really drive consumer adoption. And that will help then to raise the case and the, the, the need for the governments to actually put infrastructure in place to support it. Definitely, you can see that in the Middle East as well. And, you know, we haven't mentioned India, actually, but India is a really phenomenal market in terms of consumers who want to buy e-commerce goods and the opportunities out there. And lots of people are trying to evolve and drive into India. We ourselves are in discussions and trying to launch a solution um, on the cross-border e-commerce so that we will be able to offer our partners an opportunity to be able to tap into the e-commerce part of um, the India market. But there's a good display of a government really wanting to help support and ensure that there is innovation across the marketplace. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Kay. And with the, we've mentioned briefly before with the rise in in popularity of cryptocurrencies in in recent Mm -hmm. years. So do you think crypto has the potential to be used more regularly as a payment method or, or what hurdles exist there? Yeah, I do think it it um, has, and I, I'm sure we're going to be start seeing it. And we do ourselves anyway. We we do have a number of our partners who offer it, and I think it will start to become mainstream. And I think it certainly has helped in many ways with a number of people backing it and making investments in it who are mainstream financial services companies or banks, etc. Okay, so. You mentioned as well briefly with the BMPL as well being on the rise in terms of that. So where do you see that industry going next? Yeah, um, I come from buy now, pay later. I I, I ran a business um, and expanded it um, for when I was at PaySafe before PPRO, which is PaySafe, pay later. And I think it's a very good product and utility to offer out to consumers if there is the appropriate way that it's um, given to individuals with the right credit checks and affordability checks. And I think it'll continue to grow in demand because of its um, ease of use and um, how it appeals to a certain demographic. But I do think it will need to be somewhat more regulated than it has been to date. 
that said, at the end of the day, there's very few of those, the big brand names that I've spoken about earlier, they have phenomenal amount of credit risk and underwriting experience and models that really optimize that side of it. But I think a lot of these governments where they are becoming more prevalent are wanting to start to see more regulation around it. So I think that will start to happen. So there'll be more demand, but there will be also a need to possibly put some more regulation around it. And then also there seems to be a lot of buy now, pay laters in markets popping up everywhere. I think there'll be a degree of consolidation as we go, go through over the next yeah five years. I'd certainly agree on the on the consolidation side of things. You mentioned regulations there as well for BMPL. Um, snipping back to cryptocurrency again, do you feel like regulations will be coming into that market a bit more? Yes, yes, indeed. Absolutely, there will be. I think um, there's always there's a healthy need to have things monitored and controlled from a regulatory perspective to ensure that all parties are being fair and transparent in terms of how they're allowing crypto, local payment methods, buy now, pay later, all of these types of alternative payment methods, as you see it with a Visa and a MasterCard a credit card. So I think it should be considered as a healthy involvement, as long as it's such that it does ensure that it's there for the right intention, managed appropriately, and doesn't hinder innovation. Okay. And just um, taking a quick look at uh, real-time payments then, how have you seen that taking off recently? Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. So real-time payments, um, it started to start to take off. Um, I think it could do with a, a lot more. I was hoping to have a bit more momentum behind it at this time, but I think we're going to start to see it. Soon as they've got the rail network in the different markets, we'll start to see the traction of it. Because again, it's, um, and especially for a certain type of um, payment method or, or purchase, I see real-time payments being really strong when you've got maybe a lower average ticket size transaction. But as we move forward, it's all about real-time payments. One of our big drive at PPRO is um, to move towards real-time settlement because we see the relevance of it across our customer base. Now, that will take some time to get the infrastructure in place, but we know that it's starting to become a, a clear trend that the payment space is going to move towards. Excellent. Thanks, Claire. And given the, the current trends that we've been discussing now, where would you say the biggest growth is going to be expected next? And, and what does the future of the payment space look like to you? Mm, mm, good question, actually. I would say the continual growth of well, two sides of it. One is the continual growth of wallets and wallets usage because of the wallet can not just be a payment method, but can hold so much more value for a consumer and hence also for a merchant or, or whoever owns that wallet is the information, the data. So those, those wallet type services and solutions will continue to evolve and grow in momentum. There's no doubt about it. Also, as I said, the real-time payments is a very strong trend and will only continue to grow in that way. And then the third one would be definitely to mention in relative terms to what we've just acquired is orchestration as a solution. So orchestration capabilities will be something that financial institutions, PSPs, um, gateways will be looking to be able to develop and it will give the flexibility to their customer base of being able to cherry pick from a menu of services and add their own services in and be able to deliver really cutting leading edge solutions, whether it's from um, fraud detection, anti-money laundering, onboarding, all the way through to a white labeled wallet, for example.
here we are in part three of the podcast. This is the FinTech Jail. This is where we ask for an industry term, buzzword, or trend that our guest has seen or heard enough of. We will then debate whether it deserves a place in the jail, or if it's already there, whether it needs an extended sentence. Or, of course, our guest can argue to free one of the previously incarcerated terms. So, Claire, what buzzwords or trendy topic do you wish to lock up today, then? Oh, yes. I think what a great, um, great part of the interview here. Definitely for me, it's the alternative payment methods. And um, why? It's because virtually when we talk about this and I've, I've described it, none of the payment methods are really deemed alternative now, whether it's wallets, bank transfer, buy now, pay later, and even crypto. They are just as popular as a method and a form of payment as a credit and debit card. Right. Yeah. And, and do you think that referring to them as alternative then risks kind of casting them in a somewhat inferior light to the the kind of like original payment methods like credit cards and debit cards cash yeah definitely absolutely you know you think of alternative think of it as is having a marginal amount of adoption by consumers or marginal amount of spend and we know that that definitely isn't true a lot of these what was termed originally as the alternative payment methods what we talked about in in, in apac for a digital wallet or when we think of in, in Germany, when you've got GyroPay or so forth, et cetera, these are not the alternative. These are the preferred particular method of payment. And I do think they, when you start classifying them alternative, it's misleading in, in many shapes and forms. So I think the sooner that we can move away from that, the better it will be to make people understand both PSPs, payment gateways, but also merchants, knowing that their consumers um, are wanting to use these payment methods is really critical and to ensure that they've got a, a, a strong user experience is also key. Often I also tell many of partners in certain markets that in a, by offering these payment methods, they're tapping into a whole new net new um, revenue stream. Because a lot of times these customers, if they didn't have that payment method, they wouldn't be buying the services or goods from a particular merchant. Yeah, so I, I guess if we do look to to put this into the jail then um do you think that everything that is falling under the alternative payment kind of umbrella has enough consumer recognition to survive in the wild on their own um i i think so yeah i don't think there's anything when you think about what we've just described whether it be wallets bank transfer buy now pay later crypto you'll be surprised how so much momentum they're growing in their regions in their markets to not necessarily need to be bucketed under that definition of alternative payment method. So maybe one of the way forward, we say local payment method. Does local payment method become, start to see it too regionalized or too market focused? But these are payment methods that are becoming extremely popular that don't don't go to the credit or the cash side of things. Yeah, I would completely agree with that argument. I, I think there's a, a certain level of maybe laziness as well in terms of just lumping things in as alternative when, like you say, it's becoming extremely popular and becoming preferred. So, yeah, I'm more than happy to lock that one up then. We will put that in. We will put that in with a, a decent sentence as well. And then if somebody comes along later in the in the series with a valid enough argument to, to break it back out, but I, I feel like that one might be in for, for a long time. Good. We'll wait to see. Looking forward to being challenged. But I think with, uh, I think, um, as I said, when I came online, that's 70% plus of global online purchases are made with a non-international credit card. And so you can see that a lot of these things, the blurring of lines between where people are purchasing goods, I don't think an alternative is the right way. 
Well, that's all we have time for this episode. Thanks so much to Claire for joining me. If you like this podcast and our other episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting service to get notified about future episodes. As for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at www.fintechfutures.com, on Twitter at Fintech Futures, and of course on LinkedIn. As always, thank you very much for your support. We'll see you soon for another episode of What the Fintech, but until then, goodbye.